Good morning, and happy Easter again. Thank you, Adam. I invite you to please open your Bible to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 15. You can find that in your pew Bible on page 853, page 853. We'll be reading uh, Mark, chapter 15, verses 42 to chapter 16, verse 8. Listen now to God's word. And when evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, that is, the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have already died. And summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead. When he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. And Joseph bought a linen shroud and, taking him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Salome, bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled, rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be afraid. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. Just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Trembling and astonished, the women went out and fled from the tomb, and they said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. What an unexpected ending. These faithful women go to his tomb and and find it empty, except they see an angel sitting there with a linen robe beside, beside him, announcing to them that Jesus is alive from the dead. Don't be alarmed, he says. But instead, they run away afraid. Go and tell, he says, but they don't tell anyone because they are totally freaking out. What an unexpected ending to the story. Unexpected and and really quite abrupt. So so abrupt that scribes would later uh, add to the ending 
this postscript. You might see it there in your Bible to, to bring some closure to the story. That's why there's a note in most of our Bibles, the ones in the pew, a kind of a full disclosure concession that the earliest manuscripts that we have end at verse 8, but, but later on, thought this story isn't complete, so let's add on to the original ending because it was so open-ended. Why such an open-ended ending to the gospel? Now let's remember what Jesus had said uh, at least three times to his disciples. He said, I will rise on the third day. He says it in, in Mark chapter 8, again in Mark chapter 9, and again in chapter 10. He told them who he truly was, that he was the Messiah to, to bring Israel uh, to restoration and in fact implying all of the world. You think they would have gotten that message. And wouldn't we expect at least one of them would have said, Hey, you know, Jesus kept talking about that third day. Why, why don't we go check out the tomb? Just, just on a lark to see if it actually happened. What could it hurt? That would be reasonable, right? But nobody said anything like that. They stayed away. Why? Because no one expected the resurrection. It didn't occur to them. Now, it's reasonable that, that old uh, uh, Joseph, and let's not forget Nicodemus, he's mentioned in John's gospel. They were both prominent men. It's reasonable, uh, these men who are so prominent, but also were uh, secret disciples, followers of Jesus, that they would build up the courage, and Joseph would go and make arrangements for his burial. And, and it's conceivable that these women disciples who... Uh, who loved Jesus, although their testimony would not stand in the, in the ancient court of that time, but it would be reasonable that they would make this special purchase of spices to go and customarily prepare the corpse for its final resting place. But no one expected resurrection. And here's the point. The resurrection was as unexpected for the first disciples, as inconceivable to them as it is for many people today. Now, of course, the, 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 the reasons are different today for people back then, but all the same, it was so unexpected that the tomb would be empty. In Mark's unexpected, abrupt ending, it's as though he's acknowledging just how startling this really is. And he wants you, the reader, to wrestle with it yourself. Is Jesus truly the Messiah that everyone has been waiting for? In the decades before and after Jesus' ministry, there were dozens of messianic movements in Israel. Men that would come up, very charismatic I imagine, who would say, I am the anointed one promised to Israel, and I will lead our people into battle. And in almost every case, the messianic leader died, was executed. And in almost every case, as soon as the leader was taken out, the people faded away. In a few instances, uh, the leader's followers would pick up the mantle. Maybe a brother or a close advisor would, would take it up to say, I will be the leader now that our leader has, has perished. But still, in, in every instance, 
all the historians write about, this is beyond biblical or Judeo historians, all the historians account for this, that they all faded away. Of the dozens of movements, only one did not collapse when its leader died. And so we have the Apostle Paul, a.k.a. Saul of Tarsus, who uh, had been a persecutor of Christians, would round them up and have them killed and persecuted. Twenty years after these events, he's now given his life to this ministry, losing everything that he had before, but gaining this incredible ministry to all of the known world. He writes from Ephesus to Corinth these words, Christian brothers, I want to tell you the good news again. It is the same that I preached to you before. You received it and your faith has been made strong by it. This is why I preached to you. You are saved from the punishment of sin by the good news if you keep hold of it unless your faith was worth nothing. First of all, I taught you what I received and it was this. That Christ died for our sins as the holy writing said he would. That Christ was buried, that he was raised from the dead the third, third day, according to the holy writings, as he said he would. That Christ was seen by Peter, and after that, 12 followers he saw him. And after that, more than 500 of his followers saw him at one time. Most of them are still here, but some have died. That's 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 to 7. Well, what's Paul saying? Paul's saying, Do you want evidence? Come on down. They're still walking around. There are eyewitnesses to these events. So hang tough with your faith, given what we know to be true. This movement was like none other before or since. It did not collapse. It exploded. In the course of 300 years, the church spread through the entire Roman Empire and beyond, redefining history. Out of all those would-be revolutions, what made the Christian faith movement different? The first century Christians and the second and third like them were an unstoppable force for good in the world, despite terrible persecution. And they stuck with it because they said to one another, and they believed every Sunday and every day that they gathered, Christ is risen. He's alive. And so we see the explosive growth of disciples being made, even to this day. Friends, Easter is not about peeps or bunnies, or chocolate eggs. It's not about new clothes, or beautiful flowers, or butterflies, even though those are wonderful, lovely things that that remind us of of new life that we have in Christ, that that Jesus offers us forgiveness of sin if we uh, but repent and put our faith and trust in him. These are, are beautiful symbols, but no, Easter is about the unexpected emptiness of a tomb visited by some women who came to anoint a decaying body but learn that he had risen and he was their risen Lord. The gospel is good news. 
News is the reporting of something important that's happened. Good news is reporting the announcement of something that's happened that will make people happy. But the, the gospel is the greatest news because it can bring important information to you and to me and to the world that will bring more than happiness but blessing forever. The gospel is news of an unexpected, seemingly inconceivable, yet all too real fact from eyewitnesses to Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And the news of what that means for all of us here today. And so we have this question that Mark leaves us with. Is Jesus really the Messiah that we've been waiting for? Some of the most important decisions of faith come at the most unexpected times in our life. They may not happen in church or or our retreat. Uh, They they, they might not even happen at a major crossroads in life or even in a near-death situation. Contrary to what you might think, some of the biggest decisions of our faith, and we all have a faith in something, come in the most ordinary and unexpected places. Times when God asks us to do something that is inconceivable and unexpected. Like taking him at his word. Letting go. Standing up and being counted. Being humble and accepting of loss. Receiving the story that that he's writing. It's not the story that you would write for yourself, but receiving and accepting the story that your creator is writing into your life. The reality is the spirit of the living God is working even now, right now, in this place and in your life. Jesus is reigning, he is risen, and right now, even now, he is working in your life to draw you to himself. And sometimes, when we get a peek at that, when our guard goes down, when we're not expecting it, it can truly freak us out. Can't, can't, cannot? Choir, we can't attest to that? When we see God's hand at work, we're startled and afraid. Some of us uh, read what Jesus has said would happen and and is happening now, and and we've received this gospel truth, and then we see it playing out in our lives and in the lives of people around us and on the world stage. And it's hard for us to fully take in. Why is it that grace continually surprises us? I I don't know. But God's grace appears in unexpected ways and places. And and a big part of the life of this church, what what we're about here at Nielsville, is looking for those moments of grace and and sharing them with one another and and celebrating those moments. It often comes in the form of a transformed life. When we come to this place and we say, look at what's happened in this person's life, in in this family, in in this whole family structure, this generation down to here and and over here and and all these connections and we see them and we just savor 
God, you are so good. You're at work. This will bring us back again and again to see what he's doing. Friends, Christianity is not just a ticket to heaven. Uh, That's eternally important, uh, God's salvation, but it's not the whole story. No, the the final story that that you and I are being written into, that, that Jesus is writing, is that he is coming again to set everything whole, to renew all of the world. And so faith is not a matter only of of, of personal happiness and peace. The whole story is that he is bringing wholeness and shalom peace to all the world. That's why we want to keep our eyes open to see what's happening far beyond our shores. All through Mark's gospel, John Mark, the writer of of this from eyewitnesses' account. He spent time with Peter and, and other disciples. All through it, the disciples are confused about Jesus' plan uh, for giving up his life. In fact, the first time he mentions that he's going to have to die, Peter tries to say, no, are, are you kidding? No, no, we're, we're heading the poles. And Jesus rebukes him. Mark is acknowledging with this unexpected, open-ended ending just how startling this claim really is. And so, friends, I invite you to wrestle with the question yourself. Is Jesus truly the Messiah, the Savior the world is waiting for? And and in conclusion, here's here's where it gets really crazy and also where life gets really uh, exciting and meaningful and really real when you have an answer to this question and you begin to live out the implications of it, then the Spirit of God, the power of God, comes into your life to confirm it. You say, I believe it, and I'm going to take a step of faith in it, and the implications, and you keep discovering what those implications are, and then right alongside of you and in you and behind you and through you, the Spirit of God works. And that's why so many of us here come Sunday after Sunday to to see what God is doing in the lives of other people, but also to see what's he going to do in in me today. It's why we dedicate our lives to serving others and to sharing uh, the gospel, of, of sharing this good news. Because if Jesus rose from the dead, you have to accept all that he said. If he didn't rise from the dead, don't accept any of it. Why why would you? We could all be somewhere else on a Sunday morning, maybe trying to get that last parking spot down at the tidal basin. But if if he said it, it's not whether or not you like his teachings, but whether or not he rose from the dead. And if he did, it changes everything. Look to him the Messiah, the Lord Jesus, and pray to God the Father would would enable you to see more and to to embrace this gospel of good news this Easter morning. Happy Easter to you all. May you have a blessed Resurrection Sunday. Christ is risen. Amen. Amen.